Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today's guest is a fun one. He's one of my dearest and longest friends who has had, oh my gosh, quite a career in the publishing world. And I think it's really interesting because I don't think we've had a lot of folks from the publishing world on the show. So it's interesting to have that perspective from the real estate side. So Richard Perez Feria, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Michael Valdez. (laughs) Let me start by giving a little bit of a history. This man and I, oh my gosh, we go back, what, almost 20 years. And you were the award-winning editor-in-chief of People in Español, which was at the time, I think, the country's largest and most important Hispanic magazine, bar none. I mean, it was really an important thing in our community. And I was just ending my banking career where, you know, I was the first Latino director of Deutsche Bank in the U.S. And just starting the real estate career, but it was a really natural transition from finance to real estate. And, you know, gosh, our, our friendship has been like solid ever since, two decades long. It's, it doesn't seem that long, but yeah, it is. 20 years. I know it. And, you know, we connected on so many levels, right? It, it's yeah. like, I think one of the first things was that we, when we both figured out that we were sons of Cuban immigrants who left the island because of persecution and came to the U.S. finding a better life, you know, that story is repeated over and over again, right, in, in our, especially in our circle. But we were also the rarity because our respective parents settled on the East Coast and not Miami. It was like, no, my mother sort of said, I can't do Miami, there's too many Cubans there. And so it's like, (laughs) your family ended up in Boston, my family ended up in New York, but explain to the listener, because I was just letting you know that I'm I'm so humbled. I just had a a meeting with my uh, social media team on the podcast and we're now distributed in 70 countries. So this is a dynamic when you start talking about first generation um, uh, of Cuban immigrants and what that sort of means and the responsibility to succeed that was sort of inbred in us because it's sort of unique to our ethnicity, if you will. So can you share that with the audience? Yeah, sure. Um, First of all, thank you, Michael. I mean, that's quite the intro. And um, yeah, it's been 20 years or so. (laughs) Well, it was your life. (laughs) I think think we we look better now. I think we're better moisturized now than we were 20 years ago. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting to me globally, even how, how the immigration issue for each country is very important. And for us, if, certainly for me as a child born of immigrants, I never felt that in a sense, because I, it was always just how it was in, in our household. My mom was offered, was very lucky. Her, her dad in Cuba, when my mom was a young, was a young child, in, you know, emphasized education and all the, you know, and all the cliche truisms that immigrant parents do. But my grandfather, who's Cuban, was in Cuba with my with my mom, his daughter, telling her there's nothing you can't do that a, that a man can do. So he sent her off to the United States, which is unheard of back then, to go educate herself. So she ended up with four PhDs, which is something ridiculous. King comes back to Cuba to become a professor at, at 20-something years old in Cuba. And then Castro comes, you know, and Fidel Castro is, you know, obviously the, the opposite of what everyone should <laughs> aspire to live under. So my, so my mom was offered a job at Harvard teaching, which is wow. very, you know, obviously unusual. In fact, became the first Cuban woman to ever get tenure at Harvard. So, but here we are, my, she's newly married, has, has two little kids, and then she's pregnant 
with me and my brother with my twin and when she ended up in boston which is you know like being in beijing if you don't know anything about <laughs> it. my father who was very educated himself he's an, he's an, a cpa in cuba um very self-starter very self-motivated but doesn't speak english ends up in boston with my mother a harvard professor so he ends up being a handyman at Boston College, which the you know the inside joke in my family, of course. So my father can't change a light bulb in our own house, let alone you know be hired to be a handyman because <laughs> this professional guy had to work to help his family make sure. money. Right? So anyway, so long story short is that we end up being born in Boston. My grandmother, which is my my mom's mom, ends up in Boston with us and basically is tasked with 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 the duty of 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 ingraining in 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 these children that are at the house while my mom and dad are working to not forget Cuba and Cuban culture and Cuban food and Cuban music and all those things. So for five years or four years before we ended up in preschool, I didn't know we were not in Cuba. I literally, we <laughs> learned about Jose Marti, you know, our, our, our George Washington of Cuba. We learned about Celia Cruz, you know, our Aretha Franklin of music. That's right. We had Cuban food and we talked only in Spanish. So I'm the only, I guarantee you back then, my brother and I were the only two kids who were born in Boston that walked into school with a, with a heavy, heavy accent. <laughs> so I became like the Ricky Ricardo of Boston, you know? So, so but that whole, that whole, that whole, you know, but we walked into school also knowing more about history and sure. grammar and, and proper, you know, science rules and, 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 and math. Because you know, my, my grandmother was a professor also in Cuba. So she was very much in that mode that it, just because you're three years old, it doesn't mean you don't know your math tables, right? So it was a very type of environment of, uh, so I really, from a very early age, remember thinking, gosh, everyone around me is not smart. Because how could they, <laughs> how could they just, you know, they're looking forward to recess. And I'm thinking, let's read about, you know, what, what happened in Austria, you know? <laughs> so it was a very, very, very unsettling childhood. And that I was, love that. Yeah. So, it, but it is that, it is that sense of, you know, succeed, right? You, and, and, and succeed you did, right? And so, uh, you know, your resume is almost not to be believed, you know, a publication such as People in Espanol, as we just talked about, but you were also... The, the founding editor-in-chief of Pause and the editor-in-chief of Out Magazine and Jump, Celebrity Style, Vegas, so many others, right? And you started your career right after graduating from Tulane at Esquire before moving on to executive roles from like everything from Forbes Travel Guide to Saratoga Living and Brash. I mean, in short, you definitely know how to sell a message. In your opinion, tell me the one thing you need to do to connect to an audience? You know, the one thing, the one thing that I do maybe a little bit more obsessively or, or more disciplined than other editors, perhaps. You obsessive now? Yeah. Well, you know, Virgos. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I think is I truly understand what my reader or what my audience cares about. So, and that's done through a deep dive. So who is our reader? So for every media outlet I've ever, I've ever directed, and I've done, I think, 53 magazines and 30-something, 30 38 websites at this point. And every time I'm, in, I'm charged or tasked with leading an entity, we do, my team and I do a very, very, very comprehensive um, deep dive. And we do basically find out who this reader is or user is. And we find out 
what they care about, if they're married or not, how old they are, what car they drive, do they have children? You know, we do this complete kind of analysis. And, it, and ultimately, what I found, the narrower, the, the, more, the more fine point you can put on that analysis, the broader your audience could actually be. Because what happens is, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. I was hired to do, um, as you mentioned, People in Espanol was it. It still is the largest and most important magazine in Spanish for our, you know, for our for Hispanics in the U.S. And I was hired basically at a failing magazine, which I didn't know. They hired me with the idea that after after three months they would move me to a different magazine they were trying to relaunch, which is Life magazine, you know, with a very standard, you know, a very classic sure. magazine. But they, no one told me that they were going to close people in Espanol. But they felt if I was already in the company, it'd be easier to move me in, in a lateral way. What I came in with. And I said, no, you know, this is going to be amazing. Let's let's fix this. The problem with people in Espanol, basically back then, was that they, it was treated as a Spanish language version of People Magazine, which is not. It actually it's a distinct magazine with its own stories. And one quick example that I did, which no other magazine has ever done before, and this is completely completely changed the game was that I realized quickly that they're not, there's not one monolithic way of approaching Hispanic. You don't sell a car in Miami to wealthy Cubans the same way you sell it to L in LA for people who are more of modest means that are sure. Mexican. So why would you, why would you sell a magazine the same way? So what I figured out quickly was in the same issue of the magazine, let's say September issue, we have six different covers. So every single cover story by region becomes a feature story in the same magazine. So all you have to do is change the actual cover and have six distinct looks on the newsstand. So what I, what did I do? I did Gloria Stefan in Miami. I did Jennifer Lopez in New York, Ricky Martin in San Juan. I did, you know, a Mexican soap star in Mexico. I did Eva Longoria in LA. And all of a sudden, and I did a whole new one for subscribers, like a, like a beautiful sparse cover. So what we ended up was six different covers for the same magazine issue. And in one, in one issue for one, when, before I got there, the magazine sold 85,000 copies on the newsstand. In my first issue, my, basically I'm still trying to find the bathroom where that is. We were done <laughs> with one issue. We sold 410,000 copies. Wow. So that's just one change of maybe 60 fundamental changes that, that we, that we just tweet and fix because it's not one market. It's 11 vertical markets when you're dealing with Hispanics in, in the U.S. So that's but, but, that, but even, you know, even just bringing it back to to the audience of my um, listeners that are more real estate related, I think yeah. that's a brilliant message because you're saying really target yourself and make sure that you're giving the audience the message that they care about. So not everyone is going to be looking at that piece of property the same way or have right. the same reasons for it, right? And so when I actually sort of, you know, train my agents and mentor other folks coming into the business, it's ask the questions that people are not asking. So it's not just the price that you get that property at, but what's the exit strategy? Very few people ask that yeah. question. Well, how long are you going to be in that property? Why yeah. are you there? Are you there because the kids are there? Are you there because the kids are going to go through school and then in three years you're out? So it's it's so important. So I think that that's a brilliant thing that you were just saying. Just do what your audience cares about and find out what that is. So yeah. your message needs to be different. So yeah, if you have a filter. 
Put, right. put, up, put up questions. Like, what are the questions? Exactly. Do they have children? Are they going to be out of there when they're, when they're entering right. after? So what's that dynamic like? So I love that. exactly right. Yeah. So, you know, um, you are somewhat social, I'd say. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know I what mean, you're talking about. Do you, remember, do you remember when you and Marco were moving back to Miami and um, I was I was living permanently in Miami? You guys were staying with me in my house on Palm Island. And while you were at the place and, you know, you sort of said, hey, let, let's do a dinner party. And I'm like, sure. And so you asked me if you can invite a few people. I'm like, of course. So the next thing I know, we're like sitting at the table and there's like three like top the top Latin stars on the planet that literally sell out arenas sitting at the table. And, you know, this, this, this was just sort of like, you know, a table, a dinner for 12. And, you know, not to mention any names for privacy issues, but that's that's a gift, Richard, to connect with people so much. Actually, do you, do you remember that it's sort of like one was so last minute? Mm-hmm. You're like, uh, we need to add one more person. And it's sort of like in my in my OCD, it's sort of like, no, the table is set. There's table settings around. And you're like, well, it's so-and-so. I'm like, I don't care. He's like, Michael, let's sort of like, this person sells out arenas. I was like, yeah, I get it. All right, he can come. And so- <laughs> As I recall, you were very happy that they ended up showing up. Well, no, obviously. And so <laughs> it was like, you know, you might be a Virgo, but I'm a Libra, so I'm very balanced. Um, so, yeah, yeah. But it's a gift that you have, that you connect and you make people feel so special. You know, how do you do that? How do you sort of like make sure that that person, whether that be the, that, that, that celebrity that sells out arenas or that be someone who, you know, is, 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 is somebody that that's, you know, your, your, your person that is, you know, bagging your groceries, you make them feel very special. How well, do you do that? Thank you for saying that. Um, but I'm also, thank you. Yes. I think for as much as I talk and, you know, I like to talk, but um, I also, also listen carefully um, and, I'm, and I'm, ex- I'm extraordinarily loyal in that sense. But I will say this, I was spent a lot of time at, in my job flying back and forth from, L- from LA to New York because I lived basically in both places for, for a decade doing, you know, with all the celebrity trappings and all that crap, you know, all that stuff that I had to do for my job. But I literally would treat the busboy at the hotel exactly the same way as I would treat a celebrity. And and but what I do with celebrities a little different, a little differently to what you have to do is that you don't my trick is I never ask them for anything. And that's that's a tall order. Once you become well known or powerful, people start asking you for things, you know, access, you know, tickets to this, or if you, or can you do this for me? And my cousin loves you. Can you do an autograph and all that stuff? And I've made a rule early on that whomever I'm talking to, whomever I'm connecting with, that's all. That's enough. I'm not going to ask them for anything else. And from that, kind of my reputation grew. Not only that, but also I'm an interviewer, right? So I interview people for a living. And and lately, you have like seven minutes to get someone who doesn't want to talk to you to open up about something important or personal. So you get a kind of a sixth sense of how to approach people in a different way. I'll give you a quick example. I, as I mentioned, I, I flew for a decade from JFK to LAX, and in, invariably, I flew the same route with basically the same airline, the same time, leaving and coming. So that airline, and you know, I was lucky enough to, to, to fly in, in the front of the plane. So I would invariably sit and I have sat next to the biggest names 
boldface celebrity names next to me, right? And and that's a long flight to go back and forth on a regular basis. So I sat next to like people like David Beckham and an, an Olsen twin. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> and <it> was <laughs> Drew Barrymore and Alec Baldwin, Christopher Walken, and you know Javier Bardem, Scarlett Johansson. All these people, and what they have in common is they have a humanity about them, right? Because they're, sure. they're they're famous for connecting through a lens to people and, and, and having that communication. So I let, my rule was I let them talk to me first. Yep. And then I became receptive to what they're telling me about. And we ended up being, I ended up being friendly with everybody because, you know, yep. I, certainly after two cocktails, that helps too. But <laughs> it was, it was kind of a, this kind of this great experiment and this, and this metal plane flying back and forth for six hours, we had this connection and it was just, they were, un, and they were, not guarded. They didn't have any, you know, any publicist near them to tell them what they can say. And it felt very, very connected. And I think for me was the idea was listen, don't judge because it's not your life and just don't ask them for anything. And that became a very kind of powerful toxic, I mean, a very powerful cocktail for us. You know, and I think that that's a really, um, it's, it's a lot of great sage advice. You know, when I was selling real estate, I had a, a large roster of celebrity clients and, you know, and you, make sure that you do the NDA and, you know, part of it. And, and listen, one of, one of my biggest clients came because somebody else had him and the, uh, the, the, the thing got into the Miami Herald. And so they fired him. And so then they let a period of time pass. And then his CEO of his company called me and said, we're interviewing new brokers. You have to sign the NDA. I said, of course. And so then there was like rules of engagement. I'm like, for God's sakes, it's not my first celebrity client. And so, uh, but I signed it and then, you know, I went through the whole thing and uh, ended up being one of like my best clients and literally was, you know, probably one of the, 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 uh, the largest celebrities on the planet. Right. And so um, when he passed away, I had a phone call from, um, Brooke Baldwin from CNN, who's married to one of my dearest friends. And uh, I remember I was in Portugal and I was on business and she calls me and, you know, she says, would, um, would you come on air and talk about your relationship with him? And I said, absolutely not. And so um, she says, why he's dead. And I said, I still signed an NDA and I'm not going to discuss anything or the relationship that we had as, 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 as just people who, who, you know, liked each other and, and were uh, friends. And so I said, I'm not doing it. And so, but it's that part of it, right? It's the, pa it's the part that you need to respect the person as a person. Totally. And I think for me, I'm just, well, yeah, that's all true. But what I'm thinking about, why did I not get you to sign an NDA about us? <laughs> <laughs> because, because I still didn't mention the story 15 years later. Exactly. That's why. Because exactly. I am the NDA. <laughs> so listen, you recently served as the editor-in-chief of Element magazine, which many of our listeners will certainly know, which is the magazine that Douglas Element puts out. And you turned this from, you know, a very typical and very sort of well-respected real estate publication to literally an award-winning magazine that looked like it was a cover of Vanity Fair. I mean, it was ridiculous. And so you brought like this glamour to real estate media. Tell me about that. Tell me about that experience. You know, it's funny. I have a very good friend of mine um, named Clifford Finn, who worked for a long time with Douglas Elliman. And I never, I, I, couldn't, I always joked with him before I joined 
Douglas Elliman, because he's always so stressed out. He was very successful, but very stressed out about, you know, you know, because he's very much like us, right? He's very career driven and very kind of, you know, is always something more to do. But he told me, he just happened to mention that that Douglas Elliman was trying to find, you know, because he just hired a new, a new global CMO, Nicole Oge. And she was, a, she's a rock star and she wants just only rock stars around her. So he had happened to mention in a meeting that he knew me and she said, well, I got to meet him. So the best part was meeting Nicole. I was just like, just like lightning in a bottle, just complete chemistry. We totally got each other. And she said to me, what is your, what is the best way to do this? And I'll support you in this company. I told her my idea was to come up with a third rail, a, a new way of, of doing a magazine for a marketing entity. So basically in the past, you only do magazines like Vanity Fair and better consumer magazines that people just buy generally. And then there's a magazine that you're trying to sell something, right? Which is every single company's in-house magazine is trying to market itself in, in a certain way. So they, but they provide basically not well-respected or, or, you know, in, you know, empirically, you know, um, valid publications. They're more like PR. They're more like just rehashing company news. So what we did, what I told her, I want to do to combine this. I want to have the back of the magazine completely filled with the most beautiful properties that Douglas Elliman has. But on the fr in, in the front, in the front 150 pages, I'm not mentioning real estate. I'm not mentioning Douglas Elliman. I'm going to create the single greatest magazine I can possibly make. And then the back of the book will sell itself as the actual properties. But I'm not going to have, it can be a church and state situation. I'm going to launch a magazine as if Condé Nast or Hearst Magazines mm -hmm. gave me all the access and all the tools to create the, the greatest magazine ever. On top of that, with Douglas Elliman, they wanted to, to launch two magazines because one was for a higher end urban type of dweller. That was for the new developments, you know, people who live in high rises in the new high rises from I and Pay and, and Zaha. Sure. Hadid, which is a very different mindset than the resale, which is, you know, the high end people who live in, 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 in the suburbs of New York City or in, in Aspen, which are more kind of like the, like the suburban homes that are very yep. well appointed. So that's a slightly, slightly different audience. So they wanted two different magazines with two, two different points of view. So they gave me carte blanche. So what I did for the first issue was I created a magazine called Elevate, which was the first one for new developments. And I got Alan Cumming and I got, you know, Kevin Sessons from Danny Fair and I got Risco, the illustrator, and, and I got all these contributors that I've wor worked with for decades to just in 24 days come up with this magazine, which I didn't let anyone see. When, <laughs> when I showed Nicole and the team what we had come up with, they literally just, I mean, there was silence in that conference room for a full 20 seconds. It was just stunned disbelief that we had done this, not only as well as we did, with all this access, but as but as quickly as we did, and we debuted at Art Basel that year in Miami. In oh, Miami. amazing! So then, then I did the same thing for Element Magazine, and we had an exclusive image of Naomi Campbell in an interview, which no one's ever seen before. And we had George Wayne again from Vanity Fair, and all these people contributing in the most beautiful magazine ever. And we had this huge party to launch it. And so anyway, it became this kind of every single person that knew this magazine when I was there. And that's, I'm so proud of this. Nobody threw this magazine away. We had, I would go into people's offices in other companies and friends of mine at dinner parties, they had like six copies stacked up. No one dared <laughs> to throw away. They looked like a, like, like a work of art. You know, it looked, I love it. So anyway, so that was, so that's how we started that whole process. 
I mean, you know, it was it was amazing. It's such a beautiful publication and you did an incredible vision. You brought all of your history and all of your access into the real estate world on a publishing capacity and really created a beautiful beautiful book. I mean, it was really it was really gorgeous, but you were also the the editor in chief not only of the media division but also served as the EVP of marketing, right? And so you had some of the biggest, biggest stars in, in, in the industry as part of this because of the Million Dollar Listing show on Bravo. But you had Frederick Eklund, you had Josh Altman, you had Luis Ortiz, Steve Gold. I mean, you had a lot of people. So here's the question. How do you, and I actually love the word the, that, that you use with the other publication in Elevate. How do you further elevate these star agents? You know, it's it's a it's interesting because in the real estate world, as, as you well know, it's not exactly a boss employee type of relationship. It's more of a dotted line partnership, if you will. Sure, right? everyone's an independent contractor. Correct. So if you have, they're they're there by choice, but they expect a lot, and then you, you want them there, but you don't. You know, what I'm saying it's a very kind of it it it's a dance. It's particularly being in Douglas Element, which is very specific and very kind of with Nicole Oge as as the again as the global. CMO, she had a very specific forward-thinking, you know, approach to servicing agents. It's very, very important to make sure that we take care of what they care about. So that was very much what we did. With with the star agents in particular, I think we just have like so many successful people, they value what matters most in business, right? They don't like to waste time. They have they want honest assessments. They don't want sycophants around them telling them what they want to hear. Um, they want like-minded colleagues around them. They want people on their teams that are just as ambitious and hardworking and, and indefatigable as they are, right? So that's how I first approach it. Meaning if I'm talking to Frederick, if I'm talking to somebody about how to kind of elevate them, they, they have a very good idea of how to do that themselves because obviously they're at that level, but they also know they will, they're also open to hearing a, a new way, like a third rail. So they, they that's also very important. If you're successful, the most successful people are not set in their ways. Very few people that I've ever interviewed at the top of their game, whatever game that is, tell me I'm done. I'm, I know everything, <laughs> you know, being curious and being, being humble in your own, in your own knowledge is a very powerful tool to have in your toolbox because that's basically telling people I'm open to making it better. And that's very important. And star agents know that better than most. I also approach it with a very simple query. I asked them this, what's a success look like for you? What are you asking me to do? You know, what are you asking of yourself? So that does, that surprisingly varies from person to person. You know, if you're in LA and you're selling, you know, white boxes for $4 million each and you want to make sure you, you want to go to the next level and go to Dubai and become a new development person. That's a different equation, right? So, or if you're, if you're in a sub, if you're in Long Island and, and you're in the, the number one person there that doing the resale, but again, you want to move your base into a different market. You got to assess that. So that's a very important thing. What is their investment in, in this process? Do they want to buy a drone to help with their listings? Do they want yeah, to sure. ramp up the social game, which everyone does the social media game? Do they want to stop direct mailing clients and just move their funds to a digital platform? So all these things are, taken into the, into the mix. And then we sit down and assess, okay, with that person's personality and the access and the funds that they have, how do we reallocate their focus? 
And I love that's, that. That's what we do. Yeah. But I love the fact that you're sort of saying, you know, and this is what I preach over and over on this program and to anyone else who listens. Humility is really the, the key to success. You know, you must be humble in your own knowledge, but also come from a sense of humility in, in service uh, to the clients, because that's where you'll have the success. There's a lot of information out there. And so it, everyone has the information, you know, you, you would, know, we're in here in New York city, you can jump on street easy and find out everything that's on the market. I don't really need an agent for that. I need an agent to sort of guide me. And it's through that humility and service that you actually become successful. But now talk me through the flip side. Let's say a new agent was starting and they wanted to brand themselves. What's the first thing they should do? Well, let me tell you this. Let me go back to one point before, and then I'll definitely pick that up. I think I have very, very, I've been lucky enough to have very good friends who are uh, top interior designers, right? Or, or they're, they're world famous chefs. And what, for a designer in particular, when they come into a new client and, and the client tells them, you know, I really hate the color green and the designer is known to do what they want and they end up with a, with a, full, a fully green house, you know, that's definitely what ego gets in the way. You have to listen to your client, just to your point. But the same token, if a client says, I, you know, I hate this, kind of generally instruct them on how you think this could be approached that could enhance what they're trying to do ultimately. So anyway, so there's a balance and a dance to all of that. But yes, when the flip side of this, when a new agent comes, you know, and says, how, you know, we need advice, we don't know where to start. Again, I make sure I ask them these questions. I want them to self-analyze themselves. What makes you different? Why are you here? What makes you special? What, what puts you on this earth that you do better, slightly better than anyone else in your mind? So understand, truly understand your strengths and as well as your weaknesses. That's very important, a self-analysis. You know, meaning what? I'm always late. I'm 10 minutes late to wherever I go. That, that's a weakness, right? So we gotta make sure that that's incorporated in part of our mix. So that type of thing. But my strength is what? I can, re I can memorize anything. I, re I remember every detail from every conversation. Wow, that's great. So let's use that. So that, that type of thing. Also, are, are they in the game? Are they, are they agents because they love it or because they need it? Meaning, is it financial? Is it ultimately, this is just convenient for them to do now? Or is it something that's just like, were they that kid growing up that they would turn to the real estate pages in the paper and start reading about houses and the details? You know, it's, it's a different metric if you're in love with something or if you're good at something, right? So that to me is very important. Also, what success means to me is relentless pursuit. I had lunch mm. with Don Rivers, which, you know, I'm sure your audience knows she's a legendary comedian and one of my true people that I point to as one of the most brilliant people that um, I've ever met. She said to me at, at lunch, which is very, very John Rivers, I, you know, it was at the Russian Tea Room, with the very, you know, some vodka and caviar were happening. But she says to me, the difference between me and every other comic is that I never quit. Mm. Every comedian I started with, just about just, couldn't do it because financial reasons or they got married, they got pregnant or the husbands or wives didn't, didn't, didn't like it. I just didn't care. I didn't quit. And that to me is everything. So to me, a full-time focus, you get full-time results. A part-time focus, you get part-time results. It's just working hard. I love that. And it's finding out what's your why, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is, that's, that's powerful. So 
Tell me three things from your point of view, because you had it on a marketing point of view, your publishing point of view, you had different worlds, the fashion world, the entertainment world. So three pieces of advice you would give somebody that was entering the real estate market, because you dealt with it from really the highest level with a lot of these celebrity agents and things like that. So three pieces of advice for someone entering the market brand new as an agent today. The first thing is I would tell them is don't lie. Um, just, it seems simple, but it's hard to do. My mom told me when I was seven, she said to, she said to me, because she knew that she could tell obviously that I was, I was smart and I was curious and I was asking questions. And she said to me, honey, if you never lie, you never have to remember what you said. And that to me was a very, not, it was not a moral issue for me at seven. It was just easy to remember. Right. So I just so don't ever ask me if something makes you look fat because I will tell you <laughs> I, I'm that I'm that guy. So so I think just just but for to apply it in your life, in in a gentle way. You know, of course, now I don't I I I don't I edit by omission. I don't go out of my way to be cruel and mean. But certainly, but if but if you just don't lie, that's that's huge. People can sense that the certain authenticity, the type of the type of honest. Broker that that, that transparency, transparency, but honesty, which is different. Of course, yeah. Um, also, also for my mother is something that, that that came to me that 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 she that she told me that I really value and I apply to my daily life. She said to me, "Never ask anyone where they're from. Ask them where they're going." Oh, I love that one because, particularly for a Cuban family that, as you know, values like, "Oh, this is he comes from a good family and he has this education and." My mom says that doesn't, and from her coming from a good family with, with truly unbelievable education, she's like, that doesn't matter. Surround yourself with people that, that are looking forward with you. Because meaning what? If you blow off a client because they're in flip-flops and Bermuda shorts and don't realize that they just, in, they just made $50 million on their tech company, that's judging a book by its cover. That's, that's kind of, that's put, that's, that's placing a judgment on, on something sure. on, in front of you. You have to be completely open to listening to people's like direction, right? So I think don't, don't worry about where people come from. That doesn't matter. It doesn't, it, it, especially in, in the United States where it, literally we're a country that doesn't care about that. We care about where people are, are, are headed. And that's exactly what I would say also. Um, so again, I surround myself with winners, with honest, hardworking, ambitious go-getters. You know, um, if you don't, there's a certain mediocrity that has that has infected the the landscape. In my opinion, I think people are scared, particularly past decade or so, of living their life with their hand raised up, with their head up above the desk. They're trying to avoid like the crossfire, so they're trying to keep their head down and, and stay alive. And not, meaning that that means what? That they're scared of social media and on Twitter, they're scared of saying the wrong thing to somebody, particularly with this movement, with this, this, these movements that are so necessary and needed and long time coming in, in, in as a society. But the, the, the same token, if you apply everything else that we talked about and live your life with your head up, okay? And with your hand raised, that means that what that that you're awake, as I call it, being awake in your decade. That you're that 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 you're present. That you're not just sheep, following everyone's direction. I I've always said this. I'd rather be spectacularly wrong than kind of right. I love that. I want to swing for the fences. I don't want to bunt single, right? So in my and all my sports metaphors. But to me, it's like 
walking with, and this is, by the way, this is the best idea. This is the best idea that I want to, to leave you with. And this is hard to do, but I will tell you, I've also applied this. I walk in a room, invariably as part of my job, with four people to 50 people. And in that room, we're supposed to come up with the ultimate idea for something, right? So we're brainstorming, this is our next cover story, whatever the, the idea is and wherever it came from. But once the idea is set, don't chip away at it. Don't start compromising it down. It doesn't, you know, if it's, if it's a black and white idea and the black idea is fantastic and the white idea is not good or the green idea is great and the red idea is not, whatever the idea is, stick to your guns and go in all in. Because if you start chipping away, watering down the actual initial concept, then it's not the idea. It's something else. you got to scrap it and start over. That's my advice. Stick to your guns. If you believe in, you're in a position, particularly in your own life, in your own business, in your own clients, if you're right, stick to your guns. Again, gut is, is a long way to go. But ultimately, don't water down the idea to appease other people who are not living their lives with their head up. So. I think those are those are great pieces of advice, not just for the real estate community, but anywhere, right? So yeah. don't lie. Never ask anyone where they're from, but where they're going. I love that one. And number three, just stick to your guns. That's a really great piece of here's your core values. This is where you build from. And I think that that's really insightful. You know, this is what I love having a lot of different lenses, if you will, within the real estate community on this program, because it's the idea of everyone looking at it from a different point of view, right? And at the end, you need all that to paint a full picture. And Can so- one more thing, Michael? I want to say one, one more thing before. I want to make sure, because, sorry, the one thing I will tell you that I think I apply to my business that I think is applicable to, to any business is that when I deliver a magazine or when I deliver content or a website, every square inch- of that magazine, every single square inch has been has been considered. Is this the best I can do? Is this the Love best it. we can do? Is this the ultimate? Is that headline? Is that is that photo the best we can do? Is that 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 quote? You know. So if you apply that when you're doing a showing or a listing, or if you're uh, if you're just tired of doing another open house or whatever it is, just that could be the moment that changes everything for you. Treat it like it's a privilege that you're there. You're communicating with other human beings, trying to, to, to tell them that how this is helpful to, to their own life. That's a very, that's a special gift. Don't treat it like a business, like an eye roll, or I have to, I miss another Sunday because I have to be here. Wow, what an opportunity. You are there to connect with other human beings, trying to get their life to a better place. That's a privilege. And that's something that I think that's how, that's how I would approach it. It's the change in conversation, right? It's not a have to, it's like, I get to. Yeah, exactly right. I get to. And that's like amazing because that mindset just changes you tremendously. Remember, your life is the dream for someone else. That's right. I love that one. Yeah. What's the greatest lesson you've ever learned in your career, Richard? Um, that it's never, that I'm not done. It's just, I was talking about this to somebody just yesterday. I said, I literally know for a fact, for a hundred percent fact that I'm not going to retire. Because what does that mean? I mean, to me, work is the most fun I'll ever do. So the idea of having to go off somewhere and play golf or do something, I don't understand that as, as, a, as an end game. For me, it's just I'm never done. I'm, it's never done. I'm always learning. I'm always traveling. I'm always in my mind trying to make things better and, and connecting with more people. So, yeah, that's, that, that to me is the greatest gift. My mom said to me again when I was six, if you want to travel, read a book. 
So <laughs> I ended up reading a lot of books <laughs> and, uh, and it's, it's, it's that constant storytelling. I'm that Everyone has a story to tell. I'm on to meet more people to tell me their story, that type of constant flow. I just love it. I think it's, it's just, um, that's the best advice. Never. I, never love, it. I love it. So I have one final question for you in Richard's book of life. What would this current chapter be called? Oh, huh? Um, that was fun. Are you ready for more? <laughs> I think, yeah, the idea of, of that chapter was great. Let's have some more fun, right? So I think, I think that's exactly what my mindset is always, again, forward, not back. Oh, I love that. Richard, thank you, my buddy. It's been, uh, you know, you're my brother. It's been uh, two decades of friendship going strong. There's no slowing down for us. We're, uh, we're cut from the same cloth. We had a very similar upbringing. And, you know, I just, I just adore you. You're part of my family. And thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today on the show, man. It's my pleasure, Michael. And by the way, I am drafting an NDA as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> and it's retroactive. <laughs> and it has to be signed in blood. I get it. I get exactly it. Right. I get it. <laughs> right. well, and by the way, just congratulations on everything. Your success is an inspiration to me personally and to everyone that we know. You are, you know, honestly, we are, we are hats off and, and you know, mazel and all, and, all good, and all good things. In 2021 is going to be a better year for all of us. It is extraordinary. And, you know, thank you for that. Um, it's been, uh, it's been a wonderful journey and, you know, it is that type of thing, which where whatever success one attains, there's a lot more responsibility to it to a, make sure that that door remains open for other people behind you. And that there is a responsibility that goes back to the, the, the world around you to give back. And that's sort of my, my humble sort of uh, challenge for myself, but thank you for being in my life, my dear friend. And thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you, Michael. It and thank you for all of you for listening. This has been the global luxury real estate mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm.